0: Welcome everyone to Tamrielic Adventures, a show bringing you information all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I am your host, Eric Sulior, and today with the imminent return to Skyrim in ESO, we are going to be discussing Dragon Priests and the difference between Draugr and traditional zombies. But before we get to that, there are a couple people I wanted to shout out. In case um, you may have noticed that Normally, I have a little intro talking, you know, saying that we're a part of the Communicast, but that wasn't in this episode. And that is because this show, along with my other show, Nintendo, which again, you really need to check out, we just did an episode on Sonic the Hedgehog. We are joining the Hives Network. And the Hive is a wonderful network that brings together people all over the gaming community and they help us get the word out there about the show. So thank you to the hive. You are amazing. And also this show is now available on overcast pocket casts, which I think I mentioned that last time, podcast addict and Apple podcasts. So please, please, please rate And review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave a review with some texty texts, I will shout you out on the show. I will read your review. And with that, I posted about that on Twitter and Aramethius from the... Written in Uncertainty podcast, which I'd mentioned on the show before, stumbled across that. We, at the time, were not following each other on Twitter, but he stumbled across my tweet about how it's on Apple Podcasts and asking to spread the word, and he did just that, and that got us some new listeners. So thank you, Aramethius. Thank you, Written in Uncertainty. Go check out his show if you would like more of a deep dive into the Elder Scrolls world. And uh, I'm going to get you some more news here from Bethesda. Unfortunately, QuakeCon has been canceled with all the pandemic going around. And uh, as of right now, the actually the base game is no longer free to play. And that ended a few days ago, but it is still 60 percent off until the end of the month. And Elsewhere is 70% off until the end of the month of April that we are in right now. The anniversary event, the six-year anniversary event, has sadly ended. I was really enjoying all the drops from that. Elder Scrolls Blades is set to release this spring. They still haven't given an exact date. Uh, I'm sorry, released on the Switch. It has been out. On mobile for quite a while now. If you haven't played that, play that Elder Scrolls on your phone. But it will now come to the Switch, and I have seen a little bit of gameplay from that where they are using the Joy Cons as your weapon and your shield. That seems quite fun. So check that out when it releases sometime this spring. As I said, there's still no release date. Speaking of release dates, the release date for Graymore has been pushed back just a week. It was set to release toward the end of May, and it is now on track for a June 2nd release. However, the voiceovers for the French language have been delayed due to the outbreak. So, for the time being, it will be English dialogue along with French subtitles. And that brings us to my gameplay. I have played a little bit of Arena and Daggerfall. That has been quite fun. I started a Dunmer character for both, with Dunmer being my favorite race, as I mentioned before. And with Arena... I know exactly where I'm going in that starting dungeon, so it does not take me any time to get through that unless I get killed by a random goblin or archer or mage or whatever you can find because the enemies in that starting dungeon, for the most part, are randomly den- randomly generated. But when you get through the starting dungeon, which should take you all of like a minute... If you know where you're going, the, the hardest part's knowing where you're going. But it's pretty simple once you figure it out. It will take you to whatever province you are from, your character's from. So, like if like you're a Dunmer, like myself, you start out in Morrowind. You're you're transported to Morrowind when you exit that dungeon. <clears throat> and I think it's really cool how. At the beginning, you if you die, you are... Even if you... Like, when you first start out, you're being communicated with from Rhea Selmaine. And eventually, after you beat the first... Not the first dungeon, but the dungeon after that, once you start collecting the staff pieces, eventually you start getting communications from Jhagar himself. And of course, he's got the stereotypical evil wizard voice you're a fool to challenge me something like that so um yeah i'm just playing a little bit here and there i played a little bit of daggerfall i'm still in that starter dungeon because the skeleton keeps handing my head to me but that's neither here nor there and of course i've still continued with elder scrolls online I don't know if I'd mention this on this show or not, but I kept trying to beat this one particular boss in the Clockwork City storyline, and for whatever reason, he keeps killing me. I don't know why he shouldn't be. He's really... He should not be as hard as he is. Mainly, I think, because you're not just facing him, but you're also facing a monster that he summons who keeps healing him and chucking fireballs at you. And if you kill that guy, he just summons another one. So I've gotten really close to beating him, but I still haven't beaten him. So I figured, forget this for now. I'm going to come back to it later. And I started the Dark Brotherhood and Thieves Guild storylines. I've been doing quite a few missions for the Dark Brotherhood, particularly. I I, I don't really care. I mean, I, I, I've always been more, you know... I've always enjoyed the Dark Brotherhood more than the Thieves' Guild. The Thieves' Guild storyline in Skyrim was pretty good. Um, The one in Oblivion, eventually you steal an Elder Scroll, and that's that's great. But there are so many bugs with the Oblivion Thieves' Guild storyline to the point where I had to enter console commands just to progress in the Thieves' Guild storyline in Oblivion. I didn't really play the Thieves Guild storyline in Marwind mainly because I always seem to pick the bigger you know stronger characters as opposed to the small and sneaky ones. And I don't think I've ever played as a Khajiit in Marwind. But I love how when you join the Dark Brotherhood they give you a quick kill command with the Blade of Woe. And that's that's been quite helpful. So that's really about it as far as gameplay with ESO and Elder Scrolls in general. Uh, Wastelanders released yesterday for Fallout 76, so I've been playing some of that too. I know, I know this is an Elder Scrolls show. And I'm talking about Fallout, but hey, they're done by the same company, so there. But that brings us to our lore segment. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are going to be discussing the dragon cult, dragon priests, and the difference between Draugr and traditional zombies, because there is a difference. Both are undead running corpses, but... There are differences between them. So. The Dragon Cult. And this all comes from the UESP wiki. The unofficial Elder Scrolls page. Check them out. They are a wealth of knowledge. But uh, yes. The Dragon Cult began as a a sect. Within the traditions of animal worship. Brought by the Atmorans to Tamriel. And Atmora is commonly believed to be the continent where the nords originally came from. Skyrim itself was mainly inhabited by the falmer at that point and the nords led by Gramore, came and basically were like, you know what? This is going to be our land. Get out of here. And that led to a war between the falmer and the nords. But that is a whole other podcast. But anyway, the dragon cult began as a sect within the traditions of animal worship brought by the Atmorans to Tamriel. Certain scholars believe these were totem animals for the modern divines, which in case with the worship of the dragon corresponds with the worship of Akatosh, the dragon god of the divines. Dragons were revered more than any other, and they were comfortable in assuming positions as god-kings over men. (laughs) If you've played Skyrim and interacted with Alduin, you know that all too well. Their servants were the dragon priests, and they kept peace between dragons and men, and their power was so great that uttering any word for dragon was forbidden to all mankind except for them. And they made the laws for society of men, and were on par with the kings. Grand temples were built in honor, built to honor the dragons and appease them in life and death. Many of which survive as draugr-infested ruins today. And that the draugr mainly were the servants of the dragon priests, the followers of the dragon cult—not specifically the dragon priests, but people who went along with the dragon cult sometime during or soon after the migrations to Tamriel, the dragon cult began to assert more influence and became much more malevolent from their capital and I'm not even going to pronounce try to pronounce this word Bromjunar? Okay, I guess I did try to pronounce that word from their capital Bromjunar, let's just go with that in modern day Hyalmarch, I do recognize that word, Hyalmarch. and if you've played Skyrim you know where that is they ruled Skyrim with an iron fist, effectively enslaving the populace. While what led to this change was lost to historians, it was likely caused by Alduin, the firstborn of Akatosh and leader of the dragons, who had chosen to forsake his role as the world eater in favor of conquering Mundus for himself. Mundus is the physical world. Not, not just Nern, well, mainly Nern, but also basically all of reality itself. Mundus Nern is the a planet in which which is a part of Mundus men eventually rebelled in the late merithic era, era and led to the ancient dragon war and if you've played skyrim you know what that is that is the war that was going on when alduin was sent forward through the time wound into the fourth the second century of the fourth era <clears throat> men with the help of several dragons eventually secured victory with the defeat of Alduin the dragon priests were overthrown and the dragons were slaughtered in large numbers before fleeing to remote areas, areas. though they had lost their dragon their god kings and were cast out of mainstream nordic society the dragon cult managed to adapt and survive for centuries Whenever they could lay hands on the remains of a dragon, they would build a tomb for it known as a Dragon Mound. And that is what Alduin would go to when he would resurrect the dragons. They believed that once, that one day the dragons would rise again and reward the faithful. And <laughs> yeah, they they did rise again, but I don't know about them being rewarded. When the priests of the Eight Divines arrived in Skyrim in the First Era, they found it difficult to convert the Nords, in part because the Nords had abandoned the worship of the dragon, along with the Dragon Cult. Thus, they only knew of the great dragon, Akatosh, as the elven god, Ariel. I think I mentioned before that a lot of the the gods, well, maybe I didn't, a lot of the gods and Daedra have different names, depending on what culture you're associating with like uh, remember if you've played Skyrim there is in the in the Dragonborn DLC Hermaeus Mora had a different name that the nomads there called him they called him Hermamora. so the Nords knew Akatosh as Ariel but they did despise him as a demon the missionaries were able to allay some concerns by claiming that Alduin and those who followed him had acted against the wishes of akatash And it is it was his intervention that led some of the dragons to assist men against their brethren. The dragon cult was eventually driven extinct, surviving only in the forms of Draugr, who continue to prowl ancient ruins. The last known holdouts were discovered and besieged in the monastery of Forl Host in the mountains of the Rift by the forces of the High King Herald and eventually committing mass suicide in 1st era 140. Dragon priests were originally members of the Dragon Cult and had retained much of their power. Through the eternal worship of their draugr servants, they ruled over countless armies of men in their god's names. They are now found residing in coffins throughout areas of prominent dragon worship. If their sleep is disturbed, the dragon priest will burst out of its coffin and consi- with considerable force, and prepare to destroy whomever intruded upon their resting place. The highest-ranking priests of the Dragon Cult were granted magical masks, which if you played Skyrim, you know what those are, that defy the laws of time and possess powerful enchantments. Individual masks were made of varying materials, and each bears the same name as the Dragon Priest whom possessed it. And those are other words that I do not care to try and pronounce because they look very difficult. And as I mentioned earlier, Draugr are a form of ancient Nord, dead, found in Skyrim and Solstheim, and they retain many of their former human, human skills and thus greatly differ in their combat preference, much like living humans. So, like, if you go into one of their crypts, you'll see them using all sorts of weapons, like battle axes, great swords, bows, magic, and usually the stupid frost spells. And they've even been seen sometimes summoning high-level Atronachs, and they also can use the dragon language and shout at you, mainly Fuzrodah. The variety found in Skyrim dwell, dwell within ancient Nordic barrows and are usually associated with the dragon cult. Like I said earlier, many of them were followers of the dra- of dragon priests, and when the priest died, his followers were made were made undead and buried with him. That sounds like such a reward for following somebody. Hey, you know what? I'm gonna kill you and preserve you. The followers when the, the followers would rise from the resting places and in, in shifts to worship at the sarcophagus of the priest, transferring their life force to him and depending on their burrow and defend their burrow against unwanted intruders. They will then return to their graves and regenerate their life force while sleeping. It's speculated that these undead followers would have been indistinguishable from the living when the burrows were new. Over time, their bodies withered Despite the ancient Nordic embalming techniques and become modern Dragar and Skyrim. The local Nords mistakenly believe that Dragar were cursed with undeath for serving the dragons. The variety found on the island of Solstheim are different from their mainland brethren. They were once a tribe similar to the Skull. Trapped on a, and hungry on the island, they, fested, they feasted Sorry, on the flesh of the dead. The All maker saw this as a crime against nature and cursed them to walk the land for eternity as undead. In search for more human flesh to consume, these Draugr can often be found in burrows of the island in search of flesh and will fiercely attack and devour interlopers. An ingredient called Grave Tar can be extracted from defeated Draugr and can be used in alchemy. Dragon Draugr are occasionally slain as a rite of passage for male Skull warriors. Draugr Lord Aslip was once a mage of the Skull who was banished for delving into necromancy. Through necromantic rituals, he turned himself into a Draugr so that he could eternally protect the island from a group of frost atronachs. He planned to take it for themselves, and he retained the ability to communicate. Eventually, he was confronted by the Nerevarine in the 3rd era of 427, although accounts vary as to how he met his end. So, basically, Draugr are cursed individuals who served dragon priests. Zombies, however, have no will of their own, and mainly they are summoned by a necromancer to fight for them. So they're just dead people who happen to be quote unquote resurrected by a necromancer. And like and mainly they're found in alien ruins as well as various necromancer hideouts. And there are a few variations of zombies. There's traditional zombies, there's headless zombies, there's zombie and they have the terrible characteristic of being able to inflict people with diseases. I think I mentioned that in the first episode, that the first lore episode. Oh, and There's one other variation that I thought would be fun to include, and that is the lich. Since we're talking about necromancy... And liches are undead necromancers who have embraced the power of lichdom and they place their soul in an object called a phylactery. It's usually a jar or chest. They're selfish, power-hungry, and destroy all in search of souls to repair the phylactery. They're extremely intelligent and powerful and commonly held a commonly held myth is that the phylactery if the flactory is destroyed, the lich will also be destroyed. However, the flactory simply serves as a vessel during the transference, and once the necromancer has fully metamorphosed the flactory, it is of no consequence. So, one example of this, if you remember, if you've ever played Oblivion, there's the player house in Anvil is this guy sells it to you for cheap and then just bolts. And it, he, it comes to find out, you come to find out that the house is cursed. And it is cursed by a, an ancestor of the guy who sold it to you. And it turns out that that ancestor is a lich. So eventually you have to either destroy him or I think it's a staff that serves as the phylactery. So if you haven't played that, definitely play it. It's a great quest. And it turns out that another well-known lich is Marco, And he's said to be the first lich. And he is also known to revel the secret or reveal the secrets of Lichdom to his followers through direct communication a communion so that they may serve him and undead as worm ermites. One Lich, the powerful Dromathra, I think Arumkal, I think is how you pronounce that, managed to create an entire realm of existence to use as his flattery and good luck destroying that. But, due to the amount of effort to accomplish lichdom, it is very rare for a traveler to encounter one, as most will stay in tombs studying obsessively. Liches have also been known to disguise their true form using illusion magic to lower the defenses of unwary travelers. You encounter quite a few liches in Oblivion. I remember there is also I I can't remember if it's a Dark Brotherhood quest or a Mage's Guild quest where you are sent to destroy somebody who's still in the process of turning himself into one. I want to say it's a Mage's Guild quest with them being so anti-necromancy it makes sense. If not, let me know. Anyway, I just thought it would be fun to include that in our lore topic today. That is about it as far as Dragon Cult, Draugr, Zombies, and Liches. So, like I said at the top of the show, we are switching networks. We're no longer going to be a part of the Communicast. We are going to be joining the Hive. So, we will leave it uh, on that note... If you would like to contact me, my personal Twitter and Instagram is at engold08. The show's Twitter is at TamrielicP. The show's Instagram is at Adventures. If you would like to leave me an email, you may do so at TamrielicAdventuresPodcast at gmail.com. I'm not sure if I can... Leave the Hives Discord link or not. I will have to find that out. And I may or may not include that in the next episode. Let me know what you would like to see me cover. I've got a couple of topics in mind. So with that, stay safe adventurers. And watch what sort of ruins you. Stumble across. They may or may not be infested with Draugr, zombies, or witches. Stay safe, adventurers.